morning. Get myself situated. How's everybody doing? Um, some news on the Shoyola household front. It was Chloe, my daughter's first birthday yesterday, which is very exciting. Had some family over, had some cake in the rain. It was good. Um, and yeah, it's can't believe it's been a year. It's crazy. Um, good morning. My name is Moses. I am one of the lay elders here on the team at LMCC. Um, the last few weeks have been a bridge between our Who Do You Say I Am series and the series that will start next week on identity, which Alicia will kick off. Um, but we've been in a quick dive into Hebrews over the last few weeks, um, and we're continuing in that today, focused on what I like to refer to, I guess, offensively as the redheaded stepchild of godly virtue. Sorry, redheads. Sorry, stepchildren. Um, and that is obedience. Obedience doesn't get a lot of airtime these days. Uh, other virtues get a lot more play. We love talking about grace and mercy and compassion and love and wisdom and peace. But what about obedience? Even saying the word, it just sounds foreign and archaic. It sounds like an outdated concept. I was at a funeral earlier this week, and at funerals, people talk about how loving and kind and joyful and industrious and impactful a person may have been. But when was the last time any of us heard someone praised for their obedience? And what I'm hoping we'll see today is that obedience is a central aspect to our relationship with Jesus. It's not a nice to have. It's incredibly important. It's what gives life to our faith in Christ, and it's what pleases God. So three sections this morning. First, what is obedience? Second, why is obedience important? Third, how can we practice obedience? What is it? Why is it important? And how can we practice it? So first, let's just figure out what obedience is. At the end of Matthew, Jesus gives his disciples what we know as the Great Commission, saying to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Give me one second. I forgot to pray. Let's pray, and we'll continue. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this time with your people. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the wonderful worship. Uh, thank you for all your many blessings. We just pray that your Holy Spirit comes and speaks um, to me and to your people, uh, and that we are just able to hear what you are saying this morning. Thank you for being here, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, figuring out what obedience is. Jesus gives the Great Commission to his disciples, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we know the first part well, the go and make disciples of all nations. But the second part we're less familiar with, where Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Defining obedience is very simple and straightforward. It's just doing what we're told to do. But there's a couple of things to unpack there. First of all, who's doing the telling? Who are we meant to obey? And second, what's that person telling us to do? And the answer to each of those questions won't surprise us either. 
the person we're meant to obey is our heavenly father, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we can find what he tells us to do in his word, the Bible, the 66 books of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That's it. Obedience is doing what God tells us to do in all of scripture. That's a very precise definition of obedience, but I think it's important to be that precise because when we have a vague definition of obedience, it doesn't force us to take a position. A concrete definition of obedience that calls for doing what our Heavenly Father tells us to do in all of Scripture, that's much harder to be slippery about, it's much harder to be selective about, it's much harder to be neutral about. We either think that kind of obedience is valuable, or we think it's silly, we might think it's dangerous. So before we move on to the next section, I think it's worth each of us pausing and considering for ourselves our response to that definition of obedience. What is my response to the idea of doing what God tells me to do in all of scripture? Some potential responses we might have. Some of us might say, 100%, I believe in doing what God says in all of scripture. Others of us might say, yeah, I believe in doing what God says, but I'm focused on particular parts of scripture like the New Testament or the Psalms or the book of John. Others still might say, I believe in doing what God says just as long as it aligns with my personal values. And still others might say, I believe in doing what God says, but I'm just not that familiar with scripture. We might find ourselves in any one of these camps. We might find ourselves between multiple camps. But it's worthwhile to figure out where we stand because it doesn't make sense to talk about why or how to practice obedience until we know where we stand on what it is. So take a second, think about it. Jot down some notes, don't stop there. Spend some time this week thinking about it. Really asking ourselves the question, where do I stand? Do I believe that true obedience is doing what God tells me to do in all of scripture? And once we figure out where we stand, then we can keep moving. Can look at why it's important. So moving on, trying to understand why does it matter if we obey God? Why does it matter if we do what God tells us to do in scripture? I first want to state plainly the reason that it doesn't matter. Obedience is not at all a factor in our salvation. What I mean by that is everything we've been talking about over the last few months, everything offered by Jesus, freedom from the consequences of our sin and rebellion, a relationship with God, rescue from punishment, everlasting life with God and eternity. Obedience has no bearing whatsoever on our access to forgiveness and no impact on our access to everlasting life. All of that's a gift that we take hold of by faith. But that doesn't mean we can just throw obedience out of the window because it does matter. It is important. Obedience is indispensable. Why is it important? First, it's important because obedience is one of the defining attributes of Jesus. It's a defining attribute of the one that we say we follow. And the way we know this is how we see scripture connect Jesus's obedience with Jesus's identity as Lord of all creation and as our savior. Today's scripture from Hebrews 5 says that though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered and having been perfected, he became the author 
of eternal salvation. In Philippians 2, it says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, literally because of his obedience, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name. It is his obedience. It is his doing what his heavenly father told him to do that made him the author of salvation. It is his obedience. It is his doing what his heavenly father told him to do that resulted in God highly exalting him. Often when we think of following Jesus, we think of aspiring to follow him and his other attributes. We think of aspiring to be as loving or as faithful or as forgiving as Jesus was. Do we ever think of aspiring to be as obedient as he was? In reality, aspiring to all these other attributes means aspiring to his obedience. How did he express his love for the Father and for us? How did he express his faithfulness to the Father and to us? How did he express his forgiveness to us? By obeying his Father's directive to go to the cross and die. Jesus' love, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, all of these concepts are meaningless without his obedience. It's his obedience that shows he really loves us, that he really is faithful to us, that he really has forgiven us and removed our sin. Oftentimes we think Jesus's obedience gets us off the hook for our own obedience. We think because Jesus obeyed, we don't have to. But Jesus's obedience doesn't get us off the hook. He learned obedience. He obeyed to the point of death so we could follow him and learn obedience ourselves. It's the first reason obedience is important. It's a defining attribute of Jesus. And if we want to follow him, we'll follow him in obedience. Another reason why obedience is important is that it simply pleases God. In Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then Hebrews 11 goes on to talk about the many people in scripture who demonstrated their faith and pleased God. And what we see in all of these examples is that the thing that demonstrated their faith, the thing that pleases God was their obedience. Obedience is the outward expression that actually proves our faith. It authenticates our faith. This is what James means when he says, I will show you my faith by my works. The heading of Hebrews 11 in the version of scripture that I like to read, it's a weird version, it's the LEB, says examples of faith in action. Action, not just something we say, faith in action. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. What did he do? He did what God told him to do. He offered a sacrifice of his best lambs. He obeyed. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. What did he do? He did what God told him to do. He built an ark. He obeyed. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out not knowing where he was going. He did what God told him to do. He obeyed and on and on. By faith, each of these people did what God told them to do. By faith, they obeyed. By faith, they demonstrated their obedience. They demonstrated their faith by their obedience and pleased God. And it says they were approved by God. So that's another reason why obedience is important. It's because it pleases God. It's the outward expression of our faith that proves our faith. 
Last reason why obedience is important is because ultimately it's what's best for us. Obedience is ultimately what is best for us. The lie that the enemy has been trying to convince us of from the very beginning is that obedience is not what is best for us. He's still telling the same lies. He's gotten more crafty with it. He starts by making sure that we have a really vague definition and concept of obedience, something flimsy, because then that just makes it easy for him. He can just steer us to whatever feels good. Or he tries to convince us that obedience is not in our best interest. But obedience is always in our best interest. And David captures this so beautifully in the Psalms when he says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Obedience is what will refresh our souls. Obedience is what will make us wise. Obedience is what will bring us joy. Obedience is what will help us see the world clearly. The way I like to think about this is, if God is the author of all of creation, he probably has a really good idea about how to get the best out of this life. Be like if there were a new technology or a video game, The inventor probably has the inside track on how to use that technology best, how to get the most out of it. And in this case, the author has left us this big instruction manual that tells us how to get the most out of life. If we would only obey it. And in many cases, it's obvious that following what God says in scripture is the key to a good life. For example, most of us agree that lying is bad. It's obvious that if we made a habit of lying, life would not be what we would want it to be. We'd have a life without trust, a life without real relationship. But I want to focus on the other cases, the cases where it's not obvious that following God's word is a key to a good life. Cases where it seems like following God's word results in a categorically worse life. Cases where it seems like following God's word means getting less out of life than we're supposed to get. Thinking cases like giving and tithing, thinking cases like taking a Sabbath, I'm thinking of cases like sex and dating, cases where God's word seems completely outside of the reality we know. And I believe these kinds of cases are the truest tests of obedience. Obeying in areas where we already agree with God's word, that's just marching to our own drum and getting lucky that it aligns with God's direction. Obeying in areas where we disagree, where God's word seems like hogwash to us, that is the kind of obedience that can only come from faith. Faith that though we may not understand how, we can hold on to the idea that following God's word will lead to our best life. And I found that two things happen when I choose to obey in these cases where I do not think God's direction will be good for me, where I think God's direction is hogwash. One is that God actually helps me see how his way is better for me, how his way is actually going to get me the things in life that I want, more joy, more peace, better relationships, 
more security that all the needs I have will be met, whatever it is. But more important, the second thing that I found when I choose to obey when his way seems like it's not the best for me is that I get more of him, more of God and God himself, more intimacy with him, more knowledge of him, more closeness to him, more of his presence. And that's what's best for me. That's what's best for all of us, more of him. So that's why obedience is important. It's a defining attribute of Jesus, the one we say we follow. It pleases God and it proves our faith and obedience is ultimately what is best for us. So for the last section, I want to talk about how to practice obedience. And I want to look at three steps to practicing obedience. And then for each step, share from my experience of applying this to the area of financial giving. And the reason I want to look at this particular area is because I believe giving is kind of the gateway drug of obedience. Um, I think obedience in this area just naturally leads to obedience in other areas. You know, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think when you move your treasure into God's kingdom, that just causes you to move your heart and your behavior and your obedience also in alignment with his kingdom. So the three steps to obedience are assessment, conviction, and repentance. Assessment, conviction, and repentance. The first step is assessment. Just asking ourselves the question, am I living in obedience in this particular area of my life? Am I living in accordance with how God says I ought to be living in scripture? And what I found is that most areas of my life are just on autopilot until I ask this question. Just doing what everyone else is doing, or I'm doing what I was taught to do by my parents, or whatever inertia carried me into until I ask this question. This question can be really eye-opening especially if I'm really honest, because the answer is often, I don't know. I don't know if I'm living in obedience in this area. And the answer is probably, I don't know, because I'm worried that if I actually look at what God says, it won't align with what I'm doing. It won't align with what I prefer. So I ignore it. I skate around it. I compartmentalize it. I just think, "Hmm, I don't think God really cares about this thing. In my case, when it came to giving, I was in the I don't know camp for quite a while. I had been told by my parents to tithe, to give 10% of my income to my church, but I wasn't doing it. I hadn't looked at the scripture on it. It Just kind of seemed optional to me. And at some point I had to ask myself, is this something God really cares about? And that led me to the next step. Step two, developing conviction. Once you know your answer to the first question, the next step is to develop conviction about what God's word actually says. The way to do that is just by diving into scripture, studying it deeply, looking at all the places in scripture that talk about this particular area of life, looking through biblically faithful resources that talk about it and developing conviction about what scripture says. One of my favorite tools for this is BibleInfo.com. You can literally type any topic into a search bar and it will spit out every single verse on that topic. And one thing to note about this step is that it's about developing conviction about what God's word says, not about whether we agree with it or not. Set aside 
whether we agree or disagree, and just get a handle on what it says. I've often found that if I focus on whether I agree or disagree, I make no progress in just trying to understand what God's word says. In my case with giving, I struggled at first to set aside my agreements or disagreements with the idea, and I mostly disagreed, probably because of the ways I'd seen this topic abused by preachers, seen the ways people took advantage of this. When I set aside my disagreements and just started to look at what the book says, I developed conviction that God says giving isn't optional, that it's an act of obedience. I saw Jesus' statement in Matthew 6 to lay up treasures in heaven as more than just good advice. I saw it as a command to commit myself to his kingdom by committing myself financially to his kingdom. I saw Jesus' statement reinforcing scripture from Malachi that talked about robbing God by not tithing. I saw from 2 Corinthians 9 that giving pleases God and that he loves a cheerful giver and many more. And I became convinced that God's word says I should be tithing. So that led me to the final step, repentance. Once convinced of what God says in scripture, our answer to the first question can never be, I don't know. Now it's got to be yes or no. And if it's no, then something has to change. And change requires repentance, turning from doing the wrong thing to doing the thing God says we should do. And this is hard. It's easy at this point to just say to ourselves, I know I'm supposed to do something different here, but God's going to have grace for me if I don't change. And that's true. God will have grace if we don't obey, but if we choose obedience, that will be better. In my case with giving, once I was convinced of what God's word says, once I knew that God's word said I should be giving, and that it wasn't optional, I knew I wasn't obeying. So I had a choice to make. I could just go on living my life, doing what I had always done. I could choose to do it halfway and just give what I had to spare, or I could choose to obey and start giving fully, start tithing, start giving a tenth to the church. My budget was tight, so giving would be a big change. It would mean giving up some things that I really cared about. It didn't feel like it would be what was best for me. But I chose to obey. I started giving. Went to the website, lowermanhattanchurch.com slash giving. It was the same 10 years ago as it is now. I sent that first wire. And like I said, I did not feel like it would be what was best for me. But it has proved to be. You know, I've talked before about the financial side, how God has provided abundantly, how I just don't worry about money anymore. And that freedom and security was enough return on my obedience. But as I said before, giving is a gateway drug to other areas of obedience. I started obeying God in how I was dating. I started obeying God in how I did things at work. I started obeying God in how I interacted with my family. And I began to see fruit in all of those other areas as well. But more importantly than that, I experienced more intimacy with God, more closeness to him, more of his presence. 
I found that obedience actually has been what has been best for me. It's not easy. It's usually very hard. It's still very hard. There are still areas of my life that I look at and say that I'm not acting in obedience. And I know it's going to be really hard to obey. It was hard for all those people we talked about in scripture who obeyed God and demonstrated their faith. So I can promise that it's not going to be easy. But I can also promise that for those of us who choose obedience, we'll be imitating Jesus in one of his defining attributes. We'll be pleasing our Father in heaven and proving our faith. It will ultimately be what is best for us, mostly because we'll have more of him more intimacy with him, more of his presence. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for Jesus and for his grace and his mercy and all the things he did that make it possible for us to follow him um, and follow your word. And um, we know that we need you. We know that this is hard and that we can only do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we just invite your Holy Spirit into our hearts to open our eyes, to just illuminate the areas of our lives that we're not living the way you'd want us to live, the areas of our lives where we could and would be better off by following your way. Show us and then empower us, empower us to choose you and reward us, reward us with more of yourself, more of your presence, more of your goodness in our lives. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name who makes all this possible that we pray. Amen.